0: Well, go ahead and say it. I know what you're thinking. What in the world is this message about? I don't blame you a bit, but the thing is, these messages are finding me more than I am finding them. Moving through the Old Testament, one story after another, whispers the name of Jesus, and today I want to focus on two colorful, but pretty unfamiliar whispers of His name found in the Bible books of Leviticus and Numbers. In Leviticus, Jesus is revealed as the scapegoat, and in Numbers, Jesus is revealed as the snake. And if you stay with me today, you're going to be impressed once again that the Bible is undeniably authored by the Spirit of God and that Jesus is undeniably affirmed as the Son of God. So what about this? The scapegoat. A lame duck president met with his successor in the Oval Office. Near the end of the orientation session, he presented the incoming leader with three-numbered envelopes with specific instructions to open them in order. Whenever national difficulties arose, well, soon after the president was inaugurated and completed his honeymoon with the media and the public, the country experienced an economic decline. So he opened the first envelope from his predecessor. Inside was a card that read, blame me. So that's what he did, criticizing the former administration. Then after a while, social upheaval brought about a domestic crisis, so the president opened the second envelope. Inside was a card that read, Blame my party. So that's what he did in an overt display of partisan politics. About a year later, his foreign policy resulted in serious problems, so the president opened the third envelope. Inside was a card that read, Prepare three envelopes. (laughs) It has been said that he who smiles in a crisis has thought of someone else to blame. Some enterprising businessman came up with an idea for a company called Rent of Scapegoats. They advertised that they would go anywhere and they would accept the blame for anything bad that happened. Sounds like a service that Enron or Lehman Brothers or maybe the State Department might be interested in. Webster's New Collegiate Dictionary defines a scapegoat as a person or thing bearing blame for others. So we regard a scapegoat as someone or something that we can blame for our misfortune, something or someone that can keep us from having to accept personal responsibility. So, where did this idea come from, anyway? Well, the idea of a scapegoat originated in the Bible, in Leviticus chapter 16, where God instructed the nation of Israel about an annual Day of Atonement called Yom Kippur. It took place in September each year. The Day of Atonement was a day of fasting and repentance, it's been called the Good Friday of the Old Testament. And here's a part of what happened on the Day of Atonement. Take a look. From the Israelite community, take two male goats for a sin offering and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the Tent of Meeting, the Tent of Meeting is the portable house of worship that the Israelites used in the wilderness. Cast lots for the two goats, one for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as a scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making an atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. Let me bring some clarity to this. God is instructing Aaron, the high priest, the brother of Moses, to select two goats. These two animals constituted a single annual sin offering for the people. And after casting lots, Aaron placed his hands on the head of the goat that was to be sacrificed. It was a ceremonial transfer of the sins of the people to that goat. Then that goat was slain. And the high priest took the blood from the slain goat and he sprinkled it on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle had three parts to it. The Holy of Holies was where the presence of God was confined behind a thick curtain. The Ark of the Covenant was in there. The high priest went in there one time a year, and it was to sprinkle the blood of this goat on the Ark of the Covenant. The other goat the goat that escaped death was publicly led out of the encampment and released into the desert wilderness, never to be seen again. So you have two goats. One is slain. His blood is privately in the Holy of Holies, sprinkled on the mercy seat by the high priest. The other goat is sent out into the wilderness, a symbolic act demonstrating that the sins of the people were being carried away, never to be held against them again. So you've got one dead goat that paid for their sins and one live goat that carried away their sins. It's a powerful picture of the crucifixion and the resurrection. It's a clear and distinct whisper of the name of Jesus who paid for our sins by His death, but lives evermore as our Advocate with the Father. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Okay, so the annual repetition of animal sacrifice is now history. Because our Lord's one-time enduring sacrifice on the cross fully frees us from the penalty of our sins. And the scapegoat is a picture of Jesus who intervened for you and me. He secured our deliverance, forever satisfying God's wrath against sin by His death on the cross, but He lives evermore, removing our guilt once and for all. The Apostle Paul explains it in a couple of passages. See if you can connect the dots. This is 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made His Son who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. Isaiah wrote about it even before Jesus was born. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, He was pierced for our iniquities and wounded for our transgressions. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds we're healed. Here it is. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. So all who trust in Christ Jesus for their salvation have been declared not guilty. All thanks and praise to Him who is our scapegoat, capital S. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Two innocent goats, one to receive what the people deserved, the other to carry their sins away. Two goats, one sacrifice, and we replay this sacrifice in worship by our weekly observance of communion. We're reminded of our Savior's bruised and beaten body, His shed blood on our behalf. Jesus is not someone we blame, but He is someone who took our blame. And we fully appreciate His sacrifice when, and only when, we realize the seriousness, the gravity of our own sin. You see, to truly experience forgiveness, we first have to admit that we have a sin problem. We have to own it personally. And the thing that keeps us from owning our sin problem is the blame game. And the two places that people typically put the blame for their sin is on their parents or on the government, on society, some outside authority. So. Don't make the mistake of blaming your sin on your parents. Lindsay Lohan does. Her mom and manager, former Rockette, Dinah, said that Lindsay's drug use was a little thing and that her eating disorder wasn't as bad as it looked. And she defends Lindsay's wild child lifestyle and hard partying and even goes club hopping with her. And Dinah is a good parent. Lohan's father, now in prison, left the family when she was three, has a long history of drug abuse and violence. Drew Barrymore blames her parents. Drew Barrymore was getting drunk in public by the time she was ten. That wasn't very long after she was in the movie E.T. She was smoking dope by age eleven, and by thirteen, she was snorting lines of cocaine. Her mother, Jade, is a serious hedonist herself, a fixture on the Hollywood party circus. She even posed nude in Playboy, just the way every little girl wants to see her mother. Michael Jackson blames his parents. He said, just thinking about his dad, Joe Jackson made him want to throw up. He said he never had a childhood. His father beat him, and Joe may have also been a catalyst for Michael's obsession with plastic surgery because his father constantly criticized his physical appearance. Jennifer Aniston's mother, Nancy Dow, former porn star, regularly demeaned her daughter in the press. Christina Crawford wrote Mommy Dearest, which revealed her mother Joan Crawford's alcohol-fueled physical abuse, flings with men, mental meltdowns. Ireland Basinger, daughter of the perpetually and bitterly feuding parents, Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger, is in much-needed therapy today. Now I mention these names to make one point. All these children, all these children blame their parents for their own dysfunctional and tumultuous lives. They say, it's how I was raised, that's the reason why I am the way I am. But they themselves, they themselves are replicating. The same issues for their children to have to deal with because they will not own their own sin. Many people buy the lie that since these people are rich and famous, that they're happy and they're living the good life, really. I'm telling you this morning, the best life begins when you stop giving yourself a pass when you stop blaming others for why you are the way you are, when you stop passing the buck, when you stop trying to escape responsibility for your own life. In short, you stop looking for a scapegoat, small s, and you start looking to the scapegoat, capital S. You admit your sin. You embrace the only one who can take your sin as far as the east is from the west. Did you notice the news this past week, the story of 65-year-old Jimmy Lee Dykes from Midland City, Alabama? At some point, he decided to blame society, blame the government for his broken life. And his bitterness resulted in him killing an innocent school bus driver, kidnapping a little five-year-old boy, Ethan, confining him to a military-style bunker for six days. Known as the mean man by his neighbors, he had a history of verbal threats, he had an arsenal of guns, and he hated all animals and people. And he died in an exchange of gunfire with law enforcement officers. If only Jimmy Lee Dykes. Somewhere along the line, in his 65 years, if only he would have admitted his own sin problem, owned his own sin problem, instead of looking for someone else to blame. The help was there. The help is here. Twelve-step programs have helped many people overcome self-destructive addictions, but they're only effective because the very first step is to admit your problem. Admit that you are powerless and you need God and you need others to help you conquer bad habits and vices. It's just another way of admitting that we all need Jesus to be our scapegoat and we all need His church to be our sanctuary, the scapegoat. But then we also see Him revealed in Numbers, the book of Numbers, as the snake, So, now we change from an instructive passage in Leviticus to an historical passage in the book of Numbers where, once again, the name of Jesus is whispered in Numbers 21 beginning in verse 4, "...then they," that is, the Israelites, "...set out from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient because of the journey." The people spoke against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord, and you intercede with the Lord." that He may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Charles Spurgeon once said that the cross of Christ could be found on every page in the Old Testament, and what he meant there is that the stories of the Old Testament were designed by God to reveal Jesus and the cross hundreds of years before He was even born. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times. We're finding that out, aren't we? And in various ways, we're finding that out too. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. One of the ways God has spoken in the Old Testament is through types or foreshadowings or what we're calling whispers. Well, no place in Scripture will you find a more graphic whisper of the cross of Christ than right here in Numbers 21. With the lifting up of of the bronze serpent by Moses. Jesus confirmed it out of His own mouth that this was foreshadowing His cross. This is what He said in John chapter 3 verse 14. These are the words of Jesus, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. I'm not sure anyone would have imagined that the bronze snake on a stick Represented Jesus if, if He had not revealed it here in His own words. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Light of the World, The Way, The Truth, The Life, absolutely. A reptile, a serpent, yes, our Lord on the cross is both horrible and wonderful. So what can we learn today by way of application from this story of a snake on a standard? I'd like to look at the sins in the people that led to God's judgment and the need for this bronze serpent on a standard. The first is the sin of impatience. In verse 4, chapter 21, it says, "'The people grew impatient along the way.'" We all know what impatience is, it's impatience, it's not patience, it's the opposite of patience. Part of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is patience, love, joy, peace, patience. So it's pretty important. Back to Webster's New Collegiate Dictionary, impatience is a restlessness caused by pain, delay, or opposition. Now, in the case of Israel, it was probably a combination of pain and delay. They're wandering in the wilderness, and their impatience is evident, and you can see it laced into the book. If you go back to chapter 12 of Numbers, impatience caused Miriam and Aaron to oppose Moses. Chapter 13, ten of the twelve men who were sent to spy out the land of Canaan came back frustrated by impatience. Chapter 14, the people were ready to stone Moses and Aaron to death. Chapter 16, Kohath, Dathan, Abiram, On, became insolent, rose up against Moses because of their impatient dissatisfaction. Chapter 20, the people are thirsty and they put together an organized protest aimed at Moses and Aaron. They were impatient enough that Moses temporarily lost it. And instead of speaking to a rock to produce fresh water as God had commanded, he struck it in anger. Later in chapter 20, Aaron died and so from then on, Moses got the full bore of the people's impatient rebellion. And we just read about it in chapter 21. Their impatience became so intense that the nation is on the verge of splitting. So the Lord administered redemptive discipline in the form of the fiery serpents to preserve the unity of the nation. Now, we don't think of impatience as anything very serious. It's just kind of a personality trait. It's just kind of the way we are, right? Impatient. Apparently, impatience was pretty serious as far as as far as God was concerned. The second sin is a sin of thoughtless criticism. You see that in verse 5. It says they spoke against God and Moses. The people projected their discontent with the way things were onto God and onto his representative leader, Moses. Never mind the fact that God and Moses were the ones that led him out of bondage in Egypt. It's just ugly, isn't it, to see this thoughtless criticism. It's ugly, but it happened. And we need to be aware of the consequences of thoughtless criticism. Paul devotes most of the thirteenth chapter of Romans to an insistence that Christians submit to the governing authorities. And this would apply to us in our submission to national, state, local government. And you remember, these words in Romans 13 were written to Christians who were living under the domination of Rome at the time, and a dictatorship. Romans 13, 7, Paul writes, give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And we find directives regarding our esteem for church leaders. In Hebrews 13, verse 7, remember your leaders who spoke the Word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you. As men who must give an account, obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Again, we don't think of thoughtless criticism as anything very serious. The words just roll off our tongues. Rather, like impatience. Impatience, thoughtless criticism, no big deal. Evidently, evidently they were a big deal. What about the sin of going backwards? Verse 5, it says that people said, "'Why have you brought us up out of Egypt?' If you go back to chapter 14 of Numbers, they said, "'Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt?' we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Hey, you don't need a leader to go backwards. (laughs) Going backwards is easy. Going backwards is the path of least resistance. It is not demanding. Going backwards is a form of unbelief in this case. And one of the hardest things for me as a pastor, as a shepherd, is to watch people go backwards spiritually. I have the opportunity to see people progress, and that is absolutely wonderful, to see the changes that God is making in people's lives as they take Him seriously. But it's hard to watch people go backwards spiritually. It's hard to watch people go back to the world after they've come out of it. It's hard to watch people who've overcome an addiction by the power of God to become enslaved again. It's, it's hard to watch a husband and father abandon his family and pursue an adulterous relationship when he once pursued a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's hard to watch teenagers go away to college and disconnect from their Christian family and friends or renounce their Christian faith. It's hard to watch elementary kids reach middle school or high school and develop a rebellious attitude toward their parents or perceived authority figures. And it's hard to watch people who were once all in at church go backwards spiritually. It's hard to watch people who were involved in serving who've lost their zeal. So, where are you on your journey? Are you still progressing to the promised land? Or have you gone backwards? Fourthly, you see here the sin of ingratitude. That's also in verse 5, Numbers 21. The people said, there is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Now, if you've got logic 101, you've got a problem with this. They just said, there's no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Well, let the record show that there was water and there was food, there was manna, God was miraculously providing. But discontentment and griping and complaining and fault finding had made their way into the community. And these are all expressions of ingratitude. The people were temporarily blind to the goodness of God and as a result they developed this arrogant attitude of entitlement. And we need to take note and avoid this sin, which is probably the source of all the others because, you see, ingratitude leads to impatience and ingratitude leads to thoughtless criticism and ingratitude leads us to Go backwards spiritually. Well, I must close, and I want to do so by shining a bright light on the mercy of God. There's only one way to access His grace. Only one way to access His forgiveness. Only one way to access His healing Numbers 21 verse 9, Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. One place to look, one place to go, one person to access. So I've got good news and bad news today as I close. The bad news is we've all been snake-bit. Yeah, we've all been bitten by sin. But the good news is, the great news is, it's not spiritually fatal. Satan is forever cast down and condemned. The prince of this world is stripped of His power and His claim on us forever, all because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. He bore our sins in His body on the tree. So I want to ask you this morning, do you know Him as Savior and Lord? I want to challenge you, look to Him. Look to Him and live.